Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is the Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 95, Skeptic Lingo. Before we start, I'd like to thank the following people for following the show on Twitter. Jose G. Rojas Ramirez, hope I got that right, Danny Newbound, Hyper Intellect, and Optimist Prime. Not Optimist Prime, Optimist Prime. I'd also like to thank Mark Anthony Songer again for contributing to the show. Mark's feedback on episode 93, Reasons I Doubt the Existence of a God Revisited, or of God Revisited, kind of became the focal point for last week's episode. If you're a regular listener of the show, then you're probably already aware that Mark is a believer, and I obviously am not. Mark offered some challenging counter-arguments to some of my reasons for doubting a higher power, and I think that provided some fodder for a rather thought-provoking show, or so I hope. Uh, Does fodder have too negative a connotation? Um, Anyway, even though the show is geared mostly towards atheists and agnostics, I hope at least there's some believers out there listening. Um, And if so, you guys might want to check out Mark's podcast. Even if you're a godless heathen like me, you still might want to check it out just to see what the other side is up to. Uh, You can find Mark's podcast at epicfaithministries.com. You can also find him on iTunes and Podbean. I believe Mark told me he's been on a bit of a hiatus, but he's got new episodes in the works, and you can still check out his past episodes via the aforementioned means. Speaking of Mark in last week's episode, that reminds me, um, before I forget, I also want to thank Eric Rayburn for commenting on the Weekend Out Facebook page. He was commenting specifically on last week's episode and the point of contention between Mark and I regarding the problem of evil. Here's his comment. I don't understand your friend Mark's point about why atheists doubt God because he allows disease and famine. If disease exists in an evolving world, it is perfectly understandable. But the point is that If life was created by a benevolent deity, it doesn't make near as much sense. Though myself, I could see a deity using those forces to force us to evolve into a humanity that could learn to conquer these problems. Good discussion. I'm glad I tuned in. And uh, here's my reply to Eric. Hi, Eric. Thanks for the thoughtful comment and for listening. I think you make a very good point when you say that things like disease make sense in the context of a naturally evolving world, but less so if life was supposedly created by a benevolent God. You seem to have been able to concisely sum up in one sentence what I have often tried to express in many an awkward tangent. Uh, Okay. Also, before I forget, I'd I'd like to quickly apologize if last week's episode, as thought-provoking as it might have been, or I hope it was, sounded a little awkward or redundant at times, or if I rambled a bit. Uh, The perils of working unscripted, I suppose. Sometimes I read from prepared notes, but last week I was largely working without a net, as they say. Um, At one point, I meant to say wince, but it came out as winch, and there were probably some other minor slip-ups, but hey, uh, I hope it was still edifying nonetheless. One more thing before we get started. I recently posted a YouTube link on the show's FB page. It's of Christopher Hitchens' supposed last public appearance, where he received the Richard Dawkins Award presented by Richard himself. It's pretty moving for those of us that are ardent Hitch fans. And as friend of the show John Haas commented, 
it's kind of tough to watch due to Hitch's poor physical condition and his haggard appearance. It was near the end of Christopher Hitchens' battle with esophageal cancer, uh, but it's worth watching. It also makes me wish I believed in an afterlife so I could wish Hitch Godspeed. Uh, definitely a great loss, but at least we can take some solace in the fact that we still have all of his writings and all those great video debates and interviews. All right, so on that somewhat melancholy note, uh, on with the show. Skeptic Lingo. Well, I came up with the idea for this episode while listening to C-Web Sunday School. I have to admit, I was listening to Chris and I was getting a little nervous. I was thinking, this guy sounds professional, man. He's done his homework. He knows all this fancy lingo that I'm not quite up to speed with. So I thought it might be worth devoting an episode to defining some terms commonly used in skeptical and scientific parlance. Um, first up is a term I'm already pretty familiar with, and that's pattern-seeking. I'm a fan of prominent skeptic Michael Shermer, and it's a term he uses a lot. And as Michael Shermer likes to say, we're pattern-seeking animals. And that kind of ties into the concept of pareidolia, where people see or hear things in random patterns, such as seeing the face of Jesus in a piece of toast, an image of the Virgin Mary in an oil-stained window, or hearing distinct words in random noise, such as EVPs used as quote-unquote evidence by ghost hunters, or words or phrases heard playing a vinyl record backwards. I know I've always had a penchant for seeing faces in wood grain or animal shapes or mythological creatures in clouds or abstract wallpaper patterns, things like that, especially when I was younger. And Michael Shermer, when talking about pattern-seeking, also discusses how we may be evolutionarily wired to see patterns and, in some cases, jump to conclusions. And the example he likes to give is, imagine you're an ancient hominid living on the African plains, and you hear rustling in the grass. He talks about how there's two different types of pattern errors you can make, a false positive and a false negative. If you're that prehistoric hominid and you make the first mistake and assume that there's a deadly snake in the grass and there isn't, you really don't lose. But if you make the second kind of error, a false negative, say assuming there's no snake and the rustling is just the wind, but there actually is a snake, the mistake could end up costing you your life. So he kind of goes from there and explains how jumping to conclusions or making false positive pattern errors could be evolutionarily beneficial in some cases, and that might, to some extent, help explain why we're so quick to believe in silly things. I think, if I'm understanding him correctly. Next up is one I must admit I'm not as familiar with, and that's confirmation bias. And here's a definition courtesy of, you guessed it, Wikipedia. I know, I know, people tend not to accept it as a serious scholarly source, but it's done all right by me so far, so here's the definition. Confirmation bias, also called Confirmatory bias, or my-side bias, is the tendency of people to favor information that confirms their beliefs or hypotheses. People display this bias when they gather or remember information selectively, or when they interpret it in a biased way. The effect is stronger for emotionally charged issues and for deeply entrenched beliefs. People also tend to interpret ambiguous evidence as supporting their existing position. Bias search, interpretation, and memory 
memory have been invoked to explain attitude polarization. When a disagreement becomes more extreme, even though the different parties are exposed to the same evidence. Belief perseverance, when beliefs persist after the evidence for them is shown to be false. The irrational primacy effect, a, great reliant, a greater reliance on information encountered early in a series. An illusory correlation, when people falsely perceive an association between two events or situations. A series of experiments in the 1960s suggested that people are biased toward confirming their existing beliefs. Latter work reinterpreted these results as a tendency to test ideas in a one-sided way, focusing on one possibility and ignoring alternatives. In certain situations, this tendency can bias people's conclusions. Explanations for the observed biases include wishful thinking and the limited human capacity to process information. Another explanation is that people show confirmation bias because they are weighing up the costs of being wrong, rather than investigating in a new scientific way. Confirmation biases contribute to overconfidence in personal beliefs and can maintain or strengthen beliefs in the face of contrary evidence. Poor decisions due to these biases have been found in political and organizational contexts. Well, chalk one up once again for Wikipedia. Uh, I thought that was an excellent definition of confirmation bias. So to reiterate, I, I guess confirmation bias, generally speaking, is when people tend to choose or favor information that supports their pre-existing beliefs, even when that information or quote-unquote evidence may be faulty. I think a good example of this would be something I saw last night. I was watching a post-debate appearance by Bill Nye and Ken Ham on Piers Morgan Tonight, and Ken Ham kept trying to back up his fringe beliefs like dinosaurs existing side by side with man by repeatedly saying the Bible tells us. Doesn't matter how rational his skeptical opponent is, he keeps shielding his beliefs by falling back on the Bible as if it were some infallible source. When, of course, if you have even a layman's knowledge of the history of religion, we know how man-made the Bible is. I've repeatedly pointed out its contradictions on this podcast. But in fairness, I think confirmation bias is something we all need to be wary of on both sides of the argument. We should make sure we're doing our best to follow the actual objective evidence and not blindly cherry-picking only evidence that shores up our preconceived notions. Okay, next up, special pleading. Once again, let's turn to Wikipedia. Special pleading, also known as stacking the deck, ignoring the counter-evidence, slanting, and one-sided assessment, is a form of spurious argument where a position in a dispute introduces favorable details or excludes unfavorable details by alleging a need to apply additional considerations without proper criticism of these considerations. Essentially, this involves someone attempting to cite something as an exception to a generally accepted rule, principle, etc., without justifying the exception. That lack of criticism may be a simple oversight, a reference to common sense or an application of a double standard. Here's another definition of special pleading I found on a site called nizcore.org. Special pleading is a fallacy in which a person applies standards, principles, rules, etc. to others while taking herself or those she has a special interest in to be exempt without providing adequate justification for the exemption. Um, this kind of reminds me of times I've been watching debates between theists and non-believers, and sometimes the theists will exempt themselves from the 
bounds of normal evidence and say, well, God did it. He can do anything. He's not bound by scientific laws because he made the laws, etc. I'm reminded specifically of a debate between Christopher Hitchens and Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh D'Souza was trying to use the birth of civilization as proof of God, saying that man had been primitive hunter-gatherers and all of a sudden we became advanced as if God leaned in and intervened. And I was thinking to myself, really? You never heard of the agricultural revolution? Could it just be the case that when nomadic societies stop wandering and shift from hunting and gathering to farming, that fixed societies and advanced civilizations tend to eventually develop? Other than wish thinking, where does his basis for God's intervention as the impetus for civilization come from? Um... Well, that's it. I'm going to call it a wrap, and uh, I hope my interpretation of these different types of logical fallacies was correct for the most part. I'm still learning, too. Um, if you disagree with anything I've said or if you want to add anything, feel free to get in touch via the Weekend Out Facebook page or through Twitter. You can also subscribe to the show through either iTunes or Podbean. You can also donate to the show through Podbean using the PayPal widget. Any amount is cool. The starting suggested amount is $0.99 cents, uh, before PayPal takes their cut. Also, you can check out the Weekend Out YouTube channel. I recently combined the two episodes on why I doubt the existence of God into one video. It's basically just the audio you may have already heard with some visuals added. Um, but okay, I think that covers everything. So as always, thanks for listening and until next week. 